0: Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Uh, so we're in the last week of a series called Summer Voices, which has done two things. One, it's given me an opportunity to take a little breather uh, with my family and uh, enjoy summer. So thank you for that. But secondly, it's, had an, it's given, us, given me the opportunity to introduce some of my friends to you. Uh, so the series idea was four women uh, speaking on four women in the text. And so uh, we have uh, saved some of the best for last. Uh, My good friend Renee, uh, Laura and I, my wife and I actually met Renee through, um, she's one of the the many spiritual directors within the the covenant that's uh, offered to pastors. And so uh, we decided to do that and it has been um, really, really amazing. Um, So I love you all, you're wonderful people. Um, But this is like an hour every month or so where I get to go and just uh, kind of, be a hot mess and uh, pretend you all don't exist and just have somebody hold me and uh, pray for me and sometimes believe things for me that I'm not ready to believe or can't believe yet. And so uh, I think one of the reasons I love Renee so much is she reminds me a bit of my mom, uh, which is very, very high praise. So if you would, please give a warm welcome to my friend Renee Franzen.
1: I don't know if it's appropriate to say holy cow, but holy cow, that's sweet. Um, It's really good to be with you. Thank you for letting me come. I'm an associate pastor at Brookdale Covenant Church, so we are brothers and sisters in the Covenant Church. Um, The church that I serve at uh, worships in a building that they've been in for about 58 years, and the church itself is about 100 years old. So we are kind of on the opposite ends of the spectrum of life. How great to be here on a Sunday when you have your first infant baptism. What a great sign of joy and life and new hope. And I feel a little bit like the tottering old grandparent showing up to see the, you know, blessed, sweet little new thing that's happening. And I want you to know that my congregation is praying for for me definitely today and for you. Um, Just that God will give you long life and and great ministry legs for many, many years to come. Thanks for letting me be here. When Micah asked me to um, talk about women from the Bible or texts that have really affected me as a woman, all sorts of texts leapt to my mind, and they tussled around for a few weeks, and these two stories of, of two women and their encounters with Christ just wouldn't give up, so I thought we better do them both together and... Um, I didn't even realize that they both come in the same chapter of Luke. So um, I want to read those two encounters for you this morning. It will be up on the screen as well. They come from Luke 7, which is part of what we can call stories on the road. Jesus has taken his ministry from village to village and town to town. And these are two encounters. I'm beginning with verse 11 of Luke 7. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her, and when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. And then he went up, and he touched the coffin And those carrying it stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared amongst us, they said, and God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. And then skipping down to verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at table. And when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet, with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and she kissed them and she perf- poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me. Well, two men owed money to a certain moneylender, and one owed him 500 denarii, and the other 50. And neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debt of both of them. Now, which of those will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who has the bigger debt canceled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman, and he said to Simon, I tell you, her sins may have, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who has forgiven little, loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. These stories have a few things in common and they have some significant differences as well. Obviously, they're both encounters that Jesus has with women. And they're both women who are in different circumstances alone. One has been widowed and one is estranged because of her lifestyle. But they're both in the throes of trauma. They're at the peak of their emotional vulnerability. They're having emotional meltdowns. And neither has a name. There's differences. The widow, at least, is old enough to have a child, a son who is now a man, so I think she's probably my age. The other woman is still young and beautiful and enough to be alluring, so she's younger. She seems to be a working prostitute. And the community is fully aware of that. Jesus initiates the conversation with the widow. The other woman initiates the conversation with him. The widow is in a crisis. She's lost her only child, and she's a widow. And that means from now on, her livelihood, her her living, depends on the whims of a community. If they remember... And if they take care of her, she might be okay. But they're not obligated to do so. She might not fare well. Let's look at these two encounters separately. First of all, the widow of Nain. Jesus and his disciples are just leaving Capernaum. This is early in his ministry. This is when things are really beginning to pick up steam. Jesus has done some miracles. The crowds are increasing. There is an ever-growing number of people that are following him from place to place. There's a lot of buzz in the community about him. People just want to get a look at him. They want to bring their sick to him. They want to see what will happen. He is the next best thing. And there's a lot of energy surrounding him. And So Jesus and his disciples leave Capernaum, which is a larger town, and they're going now out into smaller more remote villages. And as Jesus and his crowd are heading into the town of Nain, across the street, there's procession, a funeral procession, heading out of town. And Jesus stops and he crosses the street. And he says to the weeping widow, Stop crying. And then he speaks to her dead son. Who is in a coffin, and he whispers something. And in his words, his words alone, life is regenerated in his cells. And this dead man wakes up, opens the coffin, and is fully alive. And everybody is watching. And they realize they've just seen something remarkable. Now, most of my life, I miss the richness of this story, because somewhere along the line, and I've been in church all my life, somebody interpreted this story to me with this tone of voice. Jesus saw the weeping woman and he said, stop crying. Why are you crying? And I don't know why the story got translated in my brain that way. I don't remember a person who did that. But I never caught the little part that comes before his words, stop crying. That Jesus saw her And he was moved by compassion for a widow who he doesn't know, who he could have easily dismissed because he is somebody and he is going somewhere and he has a kingdom to announce and pronounce. He has things to do. But Jesus did not let his agenda defer him from seeing that woman and crossing the street and asking her, what it was that she needed. Later on, Jesus would turn this into a teaching, and he would call it a parable, a story that we call the Good Samaritan. He would tell us that as followers and believers, we need to cross the street to respond to the hurt that we see passing by in front of us. But first, Jesus does what he will later teach. I can love a God who can cross the street for a nameless widow. And I can trust a master who stops and steps away from his own agenda, important as it is, to go ask a weeping widow, why are you crying? Let alone to deal with a God who raises people from the dead. This is the God that we serve. This is Jesus This is the man that he was, moved by compassion and willing to cross the street. The Christian life isn't about earning grace, and it's not about winning the favor of God, but it is about practicing, and it is about doing. Our pietist forefathers and foremothers who gave birth to the Evangelical Covenant Church hundreds of years ago believed this intrinsically they believed that you cannot understand scripture if you don't do scripture you heard that on earlier today the cross crossing 45 minutes of time to bring someone a pizza that's doing scripture but you can't understand fully scripture until you do it And Jesus demonstrated that all the time. Now I want to turn to the second encounter that Jesus has with a woman. I want to suggest that in this story, the vulnerability shifts a little bit. This is an incredibly well-written short story. And by that, I don't mean it's fiction. I just mean it's the perfect short story format. Very limited number of characters. Very simple plot. Carried around one major theme. There's irony and there's twists in it. See, Jesus is invited to the home of a Pharisee, and at that we should all go, uh oh. Because Pharisees were not friendly to the message of the kingdom, they were not friendly to Jesus. Part of their job was to be suspicious and to protect the law that they knew by heart. But we have lots of stories that tell us Pharisees and Jesus don't mix well. But Jesus took the invitation anyway. And again, this is a small town. But the Pharisee in question must be wealthy enough, must be, um, must be important enough that he has a house with a courtyard. And the custom of the day then would be that you would invite the rest of the town folk to stand in the courtyard so that you could either, you know, show off the fact that you know the latest and the greatest prophet, or you could bring him into the courtyard and sort of prove that he's not all that. We don't know his motive from the get-go, we just know that this could be dicey. Maybe this guy is one of those big fish in a small pond, too far away from authority to watch what he does, but a little bit dangerous nonetheless. And this unnamed woman, this unwelcomed unnamed woman, shows up in the courtyard. And her behavior is a tremendous embarrassment to him. It's anything but appropriate. It's anything but cordial. This woman, who everybody knows where she's been and what she does, breaks through the crowd, And Jesus is reclining. He's laying down, as was the custom of the time when you're eating. And she falls at his feet. And she has an alabaster jar. Wonder what that's for. Wonder what she does with that. Breaks it open. Pours oil. And she's weeping. Sobbing. Sobbing to the extent that there are tears falling on Jesus' feet. And she's taking her long hair, which should have been appropriately coiled. She's got it down. And she wipes his feet with her tears. Now think about this scene from our own context. Jesus is an up-and-comer. He is somebody. And this is scandalous behavior. If if this Pharisee is watching to see how Jesus responds, he's going to get very surprised. This could be the ruin of Jesus' ministry. This could be that thing that sets mouths talking about that woman being with Jesus. But Jesus lets it play out. And she continues to emote in front of everybody. And Simon the Pharisee, now Simon has a name. Up until now, he's been nameless. And Simon is standing there evaluating the situation. And to himself, he thinks, well, if Jesus was anybody, he would be able to discern what kind of woman is touching him. And Jesus, who knows what Simon the Pharisee is thinking, calls him on the carpet All the vulnerability has shifted to Jesus, but all of a sudden all the authority has shifted to Jesus as well. And he says, Simon, can I tell you something? Whatever. And he tells that short little story about forgiveness and about debt. And then he just nails Simon between the eyes. Lest you thought the compassionate Jesus we saw in the first story was weak or sensitive and therefore limited. Jesus has been playing this thing out with mental acuity that's really astounding. He hasn't said a word while he's watched this scene unfold before him. And then he nails Simon. Simon, I came to your house. You didn't even give me water to wash my feet. That is the very least thing that I would expect. It's what everybody does when you have guests. You didn't respect me, Simon. You didn't give me a kiss, a welcome. That's what you do with honored guests. Don't think that I didn't notice your attitude, Simon. And you certainly didn't anoint my head with oil, an ultimate sign of respect. But this woman, she can't stop. She can't stop pouring out her heart to me. And we won't ever forget her. I can love a Jesus who acts like this. I can love a Jesus who will set aside his agenda, as important and critical as it is, to cross the street, to ask a woman why she's crying. So my question to you is, do you know Jesus well enough to love him? Do you know him well enough to love him? I can love a Jesus who walks into a situation like this, where someone is out to get him, where someone is standing in judgment and is going to determine his worthwhileness. And yet he pays attention to that woman who everybody wishes had not showed up. She's the town shame. She's the town embarrassment. But Jesus saw her for who she was. And Jesus saw her passionate gift of love for who she was going to become. I can love a master like that. Do you know him well enough to love him? And then a second question, what tone of voice do you hear Jesus speak to you in? Because for years I missed the beauty of Jesus' character because I had the wrong tone of voice playing in my head. When I heard God speak to me, I thought it was with condemnation and disapproval and and regret. Oh, Renee. What tone of voice do you ascribe to God when he speaks to you? Because this is his behavior. This is how Jesus is with widows and people on the margins and people who show up not even knowing enough to know they shouldn't show up. This is how Jesus treats the outsider. And he doesn't just take her as she is, that's not where he leaves her. In front of everybody. He forgives her. In front of everybody. He contrasts Simon's inappropriate snobbery, that man who should have been the first to know that Jesus was the Messiah. But he missed it. he puts all his attention on this woman. Because she got it. She knew that Jesus was the Son of Man. And we are today, 2,000 years later, remembering her namelessness and Simon's oversight. So, what tone of voice do you hear God speaking to you in? It might be important to unpack that. Where did that tone of voice come from? Whose voice is that that you're doing a voiceover with? Because if somebody has spoken to you in some harmful, breaking way, that's not the voice of Jesus. And you may need to listen deeper for what Jesus says. One of my favorite writers, Dallas Willard, says that Jesus is the smartest man that ever lived. Jesus had the highest IQ of any human being that ever lived because he was there at the creation. So he knows how it all works, all of it. Any human endeavor, all the technology that we have here today is not surprising or mysterious to Almighty God. He's the smartest man that ever lived. And he was moved by compassion, and I can love a God like that. I can leave a lot of the trappings of the church behind. I've been in church all my life. And as Stefan said, churches can make an awful mess of things. But I cannot leave Jesus behind. <coughs> I, can't, I can't divorce him. I can't walk away from him. I can't stop reading his words and be astounded and moved. And I can't wait to meet him face to face. So do you know Jesus well enough to love him? Are you listening to his voice? Are you getting to know him well enough that voices that are inaccurate or are in error are falling away? And you can hear this loving, compassionate, intelligent God. How much do you love Jesus? Would you pray with me? God, at the privilege of seeing a little baby baptized with water this morning, a little baby who you called by name, to be in this place, this holy place, where the Spirit of God is free to move and teach and care forgive, heal. God, help us to keep our eyes on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. And when we get sideways, and we are at our melting points, and when we have our meltdowns, and when we blow it, and when we just outright turn against you, if we hear your voice speaking truth, Forgiveness and companionship to us once more. God, there is no one like you. There is no one like you. So, my prayer is that you will let your truth and your presence just seep in to every life that's here this morning let us be a part of your kingdom so we can walk with you so we can drive across the street or across town to deliver a pizza or to send a squiggly little drawing that just says I'm thinking about you that you use us to heal the wounds that your church has inflicted that you will purify your church that you love so much Help us to know you better, to understand you more by doing your will. Just take us as we are. And then make us who you always knew we were going to be. By your grace, by your love, by your faith, all this I ask with great appreciation for you, God.
0: online at www.awakeningcommunity.com, or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Community or on Twitter at awaken Community. See you next time.